Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Hey, everyone, this is Jim Baker from Doing Ministry Well, and you're listening to Engaging Missions. Welcome to the Engaging Missions show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Hi, and welcome to the Engaging Missions Show. I'm really glad to have you. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about the importance of global gateway cities, a powerful way to reach the nations, and the difficult transition our guest and his family went through when they had to leave the nation where they felt called and return to the U.S. But don't worry, it actually turns out that God had a really cool plan. It was just a difficult season for them. Scott McClelland is going to join us for the leadership moment. He's going to continue that current series. And then before we get into the actual interview, I did want to mention that if you enjoy the Bible and you'd like to be able to listen on the go, I have a deal set up with Audible where if you try out their service by visiting engagingmissions.com slash free book, you can get a free book. And I absolutely recommend the Bible. Depending on which version you get, you can get up to 90 hours of the Bible recorded so that you can listen on the go in your car or when you're doing housework or wherever you are, something that you can take with you. Maybe even something that would be valuable if you want to share the Bible with someone who can't read. So that's engagingmissions.com slash free book. With that, we're going to get right into this week's episode. All right, let's get started. I am really excited to have this week's guest on. I actually first heard of Brad on Steve Addison's podcast, and I loved what he shared there. And so I I thought it might be interesting to get him on the show. He has been a missionary to Southeast Asia. Now he's based in New York City, and he's the co-founder of a group called Global Gates. They have a vision to reach the world with what they're calling Global Gateway Cities. I do want to mention that for security reasons, we're using the the name Brad W. So hang on for the ride. I think this is going to be really good. Brad, welcome to the show. It's been, it's wonderful to have you. Oh, thanks so much, Brian. I'm glad to be here. So as we get into this, Brad, we're going to get to know you a little bit more in just a minute. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask, what are global gateway cities and why are they important? That's a great question. And it's something we've wrestled with in the last year or so. Um, really, as we look around the world, you know, the statisticians statisticians tell us that the world is becoming more and more urban. And actually, now for the, one of the first times in history, maybe the first time in history, the world is primarily urban and is only going to continue to get that way. And so what we're finding is this niche that the Lord has provided where diaspora peoples, that would be people not living in their homeland, 
are congregating in urban urban cities around the world. And so for us, really, as we think about a global gateway city, that would be a gateway city would be a city that has a sizable population, and our focus is least reached peoples, um, those peoples that have not been reached with the gospel. So sizable populations of those people who are both accessible to Christian witness and then through whom their home populations overseas could be impacted for the Great Commission. So really our vision is God's brought hundreds of thousands of people and placed in these cities around the world, cities like Toronto, cities like New York City, London, Athens, um, many um, other large cities, the leaders and, and the shifter and shapers of nations are in some of these cities, and God has given us access to boldly proclaim the gospel to them, and equip them, and allow them to take the gospel back into their home countries. And so when we think global gateway city, that's really, as we kind of bring it into focus, is a city with large, sizable population of least reached peoples who are accessible to Christian witness and through whom we have the ability to send the gospel back into their home country. Okay, that's, that's good. And that was a very thorough answer. I had a couple of follow-up questions, and you already nailed those. So that's that's wonderful. Now I want to st- take a step back and get to know you a little bit. I've, I've summed up multiple years of ministry in like 30 seconds. We've defined what Global Gates ministry is. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your family and what you've done over the years? Sure. Um, my wife and I both are actually from the southern part of the U.S., um, and yet have lived all over. I think we counted it within about ten, five years, we moved 10 times. Um, wow. And so um, basically, when I was younger, God gave me just a real burden to reach Muslims. And so through that, ended up in seminary, um, to spend some time overseas in Southeast Asia, in both kind of a rural context, as well as um, urban context. Um, our family had some medical issues with our children, and about five, five and a half years ago, ended up back in the U.S. and wrestling with the Lord, saying, God, what do you want? You, you called us to reach Muslims, and here we are back in the U.S. Mm-hmm. wanting to be overseas, but yet feeling like we need to be in the States for some of the special issues that our family is focusing on. And at that time, someone said, well, why don't you just go take a look in New York and see what you think? There's a lot of opportunity there. So we came up back in 2010, and took a look in New York. And at that time, they were saying there was around 800,000 Muslims here. And um, we were just blown away with how many people from the nations were here. Um, And so truthfully, went home, prayed about it. And honestly, within three weeks, we moved to New York. And I went bivocational and started doing real estate at that time and did real estate for about a year before ministry just got so busy. Um, I had to give that up okay. and um, really focus. But yeah, our heart is to reach um, Muslims. And through that, we kind of partnered with some others here in, in New York. And um, that's kind of where Global Gates came from. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. So many, so many follow-up questions I want to ask. One, one of the things I've heard is that, and, and just kind of framing this up, I've not been a long-term missionary. I've done some short-term stuff, but I never felt called to that. But I've heard that it can be very difficult to come back to the States, especially when you felt like your ministry was elsewhere. How, how did you guys get through that transition? 
Yeah, and you know, it's very interesting. We came home and, you know, family and friends were very well-meaning and they were all telling us, aren't you thrilled that you get to be home and stay back in the U.S.? And truthfully, we weren't because home for us was overseas. And yeah. our kids had grown up there. And um, just really, truth, truthfully, New York feels much more like overseas cities than other than other places we were living. We were in South Carolina and our children had grown up very multi-ethnic, so on the outside they looked very American, but on the inside their whole world had been in Asia. And so just the difficult part of that, I think, was just wanting to be overseas and, and being so t- drawn by the need. There were, you know, when we were in Indonesia, at one point we were, our job description was to reach 9 million people. And there was, we knew of one other missionary couple reaching those same 9 million people. And then we came home and there was a church on every block, it felt like. And so just that burden for lostness um, was what gripped us. And so truthfully, we just really feel honored by the Lord that he's allowed us to come and live in New York. Um, We're able to take advantage of all the health care and all the special schools and things we needed for our children and yet he's placed us in a place where there's now um, the the latest numbers say there's over a million Muslims living here um, in our city. Um, twenty Almost 20 percent of our city would be people from what we would call unreached people groups. And so truthfully, we're getting to reach the nations living here and just really feel blessed by the Lord that he allowed us, given our special circumstances, to still stay engaged in reaching the nations. Yeah. Is, isn't that just like God to take a left turn and then re, you know, realize that you're actually where God's calling you to be? Yeah, we have a Bangladeshi brother on our team here. He's a former Muslim. And when he always talks about, he says, we have our plans, but God has his super plan. And I think we really see that. We all have had our plans, and yet the Lord changed them. In times that was really been difficult for us, and yet God's plan is so much better than what we could even plan. So how how did God get you through some of those difficult times? Well, it was it wasn't all roses. No. <laughs> Truthfully, there was about a year that was a huge struggle for my wife and I. Um, we really wrestled with the Lord, um, and I think the Lord's big enough to handle that. Mm-hmm. You know, we read parts of Psalms, and David's very honest with God, and we were just really trying to be very honest with Him and. You know, I have a very patient wife, and she actually had heard from the Lord before I heard as far as us not returning overseas, and she was really patient with me to let me hear from the Lord myself and, uh, you know, be patient with me. But it was just a lot of crying out to Him, um, talking with other folks, um, being reassured by some mentors of ours that God hadn't forgotten us, Um, and then ultimately just trying to follow the Lord the best we knew how. And so, um, and usually that involves faith and that involves things that we're uncomfortable with. Um, We went from being with a mission agency that paid our salary to having to become faith-based where we raised our own own funding. And so that was a big step for us. And yet we've seen the Lord just really walk with us and we've never gone without. And um, honestly, we felt the Lord a lot, but he's never failed us. 
you know, as you were you were mentioning that, I, w- I was thinking about the, th- there's a different set of challenges, I think, that come with being vi- bivocational as opposed to being a, a fully supported missionary with an organization. How did you work out those differences? Well, um, you know, the first year we were here um, was very difficult um, because I was working 30 to 35 hours a week doing real estate and probably 30, 35 hours a week doing ministry. And um, it was something that as a family, um, we made a decision that that's what we were going to do for a time. Um, But the biggest thing we see, especially when you're in the marketplace and you're trying to do ministry part time or those. And I think that's even a misnomer. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest thing is that the Lord is Lord of our life, no matter where we are. And so, you know, in New York, we run into this a lot. We say if, People are going to have to have a special night of the week to do ministry or to do to be about the Lord's work. They just don't have time because they're working 60, 70 hours a week sometimes. And so really, in America, we really like to separate our secular from our religious, who we are. And one of the great things about working with Muslims or Hindus is that they really don't separate that. Hmm. Um, and so and it's not an expectation that you would. And so I really we really encourage um I think that's a flaw in our American culture is that we separate our religious life from our secular life. But we need to be Christ at work. And many of, you know, nowadays, many people are only going to be reached if they're going to be reached in their workplace because um, God's, I mean, you know, in the high tech industry, uh, we've got people on our teams working in high tech, reaching Indian Hindus, and they're reaching people I could never touch because I don't work in those circles. And so I think just trying to, get rid of that divide between secular and um, sacred and just being Christ no matter where we are. So it's truthfully, um, when I was working in real estate, I had a lot of opportunities to share Christ and be Christ with people in my office and my clients. And um, God actually gave me some of my best friends in the Islamic community through my time doing real estate. Isn't that interesting? As as you think about your your life and your ministry, you've already mentioned the Psalms being key. Is there maybe a key scripture to how you've approached life and ministry? Um, key scripture for us, I mean, I think you know Romans. Oh, it's not Romans. Sorry, Proverbs um, three, four, and five. Um, Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Um, it's a big verse for us. Uh, the other would be um, probably for Sarah and I, my wife, um, Revelation 7, 9, and 10 is what really has driven our life. Where it's just, it's kind of the picture futuristically looking at that all people from all nations and tribes one day will be around the throne worshiping God. And we've always seemed to work with some of the harder to reach groups. And sometimes that's really been difficult work. I mean, that's why they're still unreached. Most of them is because they're not the easy to reach people groups. Um, and yet that promise that the Lord gives us that one day people from every tribe and tongue and nation will be around the throne worshiping is really what drives us. And it's kind of the, we, we, God gave us a gift to be able to see the end before it's actually there. And so that's really what pushes us and gives us faith, even when sometimes it feels quite difficult. Do, as you think about your life, do you have any maybe personal habits or anything that you do that you believe has contributed to what God's been able to do in your life? You know, um, gosh, that's a 
Good question. I think one of the things that the Lord's made it easy or made it easy to do the type of life he's called us to is that we're quite adventure seekers. We enjoy new things, enjoy um, just learning and, and experiencing new cultures. That's been a wonderful thing. I think that probably the habit that has been there has been um, just really an ability to trust the Lord and to step out in faith. And so what we, you know, I've, I try to find times where I'm just exercising my faith always. Um, I was doing a training this week with a group of volunteers who came in, and I said, you know, oftentimes when God asks us to do something, it's like we're standing on a cliff, and he's saying, take this step into thin air and trust that I'm going to be there. That's the feeling we have. Hmm. And I said, there's always this anxiety we feel, but the truth is we only feel the anxiety when we're still standing on the ground. The moment we take the step of faith and the Lord meets us at our point of faith, there's an exhilaration and the anxiety's gone. And God's just given us a love for trying to follow him in those steps of faith. And he's always comes through to us. It's almost, so it becomes almost a game to, it feels like at times to say, you know, God's asking us to do something that seems impossible. Let's do it and see what happens. Cause he's always been there and it gets easier and easier as we exercise that. Wow, that's good stuff. With that, we are going to need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the ministry. Sounds great. Take your leadership to the next level. It's time for the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. Hi, it's Scott McClelland with your Leadership Moment. Hope you're having a good one. We're talking about the verse in Matthew 23.10 over the last several Leadership Moments and the next few, where Jesus said, don't be called leaders, for you have one leader, and that is Christ. Wow. As we've mentioned, it's, it can be, this can be tricky for us, especially in our culture when so many are studying the subject of leadership. There's a huge market, obviously, for leadership material in the Western world. It seems like there's this striving, the same one that the immature disciples had to be the greatest and everyone wants that next key to get themselves into the next level of leadership capacity. And in this, I think the Lord might turn to us in our day and say, uh, have a seat here, guys. Let's bring a child in among us and let's, let's take a look at true greatness, which doesn't involve striving to self-promote. Sadly, the spirit of the age is all about self-promotion and that infects us from the culture. We need to grow out of that as leaders. What is Jesus saying here? That's what we're looking at. You know, in some ways, it's easier to follow man than it is to follow Jesus, especially when he <laughs> gives us gives us instructions like this. Why is that? You know, he can see right through us, and his standards are impossible without his accompanying grace. God's trying to give us grace here in this statement to recognize Christ as principal leader and all of us as representative leadership. That's what we are. We're not that guy or that girl. We are a representative of the one leader, the true leader, Jesus Christ. And he gave us an example that can't be improved upon. I think that's also something that's being stressed in this verse. When our concept of leadership and our example of leadership falls away or disconnects from the example that he gave us, 
then we can realize that we're departing from the truth in our, you know, our exemplary behavior or in what might be called representative capacity. Let's stay close to the example that Jesus gave us and realize he's the one that we're looking to for leadership, not only in terms of biblically, but day to day. Lord, what are you saying to me? Tell me what I should do. Where should I go? How do I best represent what you're trying to do? This is something of what Jesus is encouraging us here in Matthew 23.10. More to come on that in the next leadership moment. Come back and see us. I'm Scott McClellan. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. Have a good one. This Leadership Moment was produced in partnership with Engaging Missions. Have your leadership question answered by contacting Scott at scott at fxmissions.com. Visit FX Missions to learn more about how you can grow your leadership and engage in missions. Visit engagingmissions.com for encouragement, insight, and resources from missionaries, ministry leaders, and church planters. All right, we are back with Brad W. He's the uh, co-founder of a ministry in based in New York City called Global Gates, and we're going to shift our focus now. We've been hearing about him and some of the things going on in his life, but now we're going to focus a little bit more specifically on the ministry. So, Brad, as we move forward to the present day, can you fill us in on what is it exactly that you're doing with Global Gates? Sure. Um, so we started Global Gates about three and a half years ago. So we're still quite a young organization, primarily because we did a major research project and we looked at New York City where we were living and found out that about 19.5% of our people were from what were known as least reached peoples or unreached people groups. And that means that in layman's terms, it it just means it's less than 2.5% evangelical among that people group. Mm-hmm. And unless someone from the outside brings the gospel to that people group, um, this generation, majority will die without even having a chance to reject Christ. And um, so there were people from Yemen and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and Bangladesh, India, West African countries like Senegal, um, Cote d'Ivoire, and all of these people were living here, and many of them were from countries that were quite difficult to live in. Um, and at the time when we were working here, originally we were quite focused on Bangladeshis, but as we started looking, there were all these needs, and quite honestly, no easy way to come and reach those people if you were going to come as a missionary. And so we felt like in order to reach those people, we needed to give kind of a an avenue for people to come and work um, kind of a covering and accountability for them, as well as we needed to have um, some best practices as we had studied missions from around the world where the God was moving in great waves and the, and the gospel and the church was just exploding. We thought, you know, there's a lot we can learn from that and we can use those same strategies here to reach these unreached peoples. So we started about three and a half years ago with four couples um, in New York City and something about what we were doing really Um, just clicked with some other folks and God just began to bring people to us. And so we, the first year and a half, I think we grew to about 19, 20 missionary couples. Um, And we grew out of New York into several other cities in the U S. And then we just, God just keeps growing us. And so um, we're just asking him really what's the next steps for us. And 
one of the, and as your listeners listen, you know, one of the major cities I'm so burdened for right now is Toronto in Canada. Um, I've been in places in Toronto where it was 10 years ago, there were farmlands and now there's a hundred thousand people living on these areas and 90% of them are from South Asia. There's not even a church building within 15 miles of those areas. And yet there's temples and gurdwaras and a mosque all throughout those areas and no one's there. So global gates actually our first kind of endeavor outside of the U S has been into Canada and we're establishing there and um, partnering with some other agencies just to see how can we reach the many millions of people who are coming here. So God's been good. We, we're now in multiple cities in the U.S. We're in San Francisco, Washington, D.C., um, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas. Um, we're, in, um, we're going into Toronto now. And who knows, we, we feel like in the next few years we'll also be in some of Europe's major gateway cities like Athens and um, London. And, but primarily, we're just kind of like, we're along for the ride, asking the Lord what He wants, and um, just trusting Him along the way. You had a really interesting comment when you were sharing that about people not having a chance to reject Christ. I've always heard that framed up as a chance to accept. What, what brought you to that, uh, that phrase? I say that because, to me, um, it just kind of captures that Someone doesn't even, re- they don't know, have never heard the truths of Jesus. So they can't even make a decision for themselves one way or the other. And so to me, that is the, that's a classic understanding of unreached peoples. And really our vision is to get the gospel. You know, our goal isn't to convict them of their sin. That's not our job. That's mm. the Holy Spirit's job. It's not our job to con- convince them of the truths of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to present them Christ and Christ crucified in a way they can understand. And yet, so many millions of people in the world today don't have that opportunity. Um, you know, 90 to 95% of all Christian workers are working with Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's, that's not an indictment on us. It's just facts. And yet, God's heart, you know, Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. And so we're trying to stay really focused on the lost. And, um, you know, it, it's one thing we could come and show great numbers quite quickly if we went to certain groups that are very receptive and praise God for people who are reaching those groups. And we're coming and saying, you know, who's going to take on the people from Yemen? There's 40,000 living in New York City. Who's going to reach those folks? Um, who's going to reach the 125,000 Pakistanis that live in Metro New York City um, and right now, I don't know of any missionary focused on reaching them. And um, so what, that's what we mean when we say they haven't even had an opportunity to reject Christ. They could accept, they are accepting. It's, mm-hmm. They just, he's not even a, a thought because they don't know enough truth to know that they need to accept or reject. So if somebody's listening to this and they're going, wow, that sounds really cool. Is there a way for people to get involved? Yeah. We would, you know, we are partnering with whom, whoever will work with us, if it's mission organizations, if it's people wanting to join with us, if it's, and so the best way to get involved would be just to connect with us. Um, the easiest thing would do to be to send an email to info at globalgates.info, or you can look at our website, which is www.globalgates.info, I-N-F-O. 
Um, and there's many ways you can connect with us there. All right, good deal. And for those of you who are listening, I'll make sure to have that linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Brad W. So Brad, as you think about what you're doing right now, what are the exciting things that you see coming in the future? You know, the, the exciting things we see coming are that God is raising up more and more people who are seeing the seeing immigration and people coming into our country in the U.S. or into other countries, not as a political um, stance or from a political viewpoint, but looking at it from God's viewpoint as such an opportunity for the gospel to reach the world through these cities that these that people are moving to. And so I'm very excited for that. You know, probably five, ten years ago, people didn't even see the need to reach diaspora folks or Muslims or Hindus in our country. And now, no matter where you go, you're gonna everyone knows a Muslim. Everyone knows a Hindu. They're doctors that are they go to school with someone. And so when I was overseas, oftentimes People were just, they fit into a category. They were Muslim or they were unreached. Now, when I talk with people in churches, they all have, they know someone. So this Muslim person has a name and it's much easier for them to be burdened to reach them when they know them as their friend or it's their classmate. So I'm very excited that God seems to be awakening the church up to this opportunity to reach the nations, um, both by going and by reach, doing our job while we're back home um, in our workplaces and at schools and in our communities to reach and be Christ to those whom he's bringing to us. Wow. So I think I'm probably going to just totally throw the rest of the interview flow out the window because it seems like God's taking us a different direction right now. And that, that's really cool. So as you're sharing this, I'm thinking, okay, I'm me, I'm in a workplace or I'm at the shopping center or whatever, and I'm, I know somebody who's a Muslim and I want to, I want to start ministering to them, but I don't know what to do, what to do. What do you recommend? I think the first thing I recommend is don't hide who you are in Christ. Don't hide the fact that you're a Christ follower. Um, oftentimes in the church, we're accustomed to giving testimony to Christ, to Christians, but we're not accustomed to talking about the things of Christ to those outside of our faith. So love that person. Share what you learned in the Bible this morning. Share how God's changed your life. Um, And then learn about them. Ask them about their faith. Ask them, you know, one thing that changed the way I ever, I shared with Muslims, and honestly it impacts the way I share with Hindus and Sikhs and Jewish folks as well, is um, to say, you know, we're all very, we're all quite similar. Um, all faiths are quite similar. We all know that God is very holy and that we're not, and we're looking for a way. How do we go from here where we are to get to God? And so sometimes I just ask them, so how do you do that? What do you, we all do bad things. We all sin. How do you um, get forgiveness of your sin? And do you know for certain you're going to go to paradise or go to heaven when you die? And from that conversation is, you know, we're kind of like one beggar helping another beggar. The difference is we have found truth, and we and so share that. I I do think though we need to go in as learner, learn about their culture, learn about their people, learn about things that might be offensive to them. And so I mean, there's a lot of different resources, materials. Um, if you come to our website, we've got a small little book called Engaging the Nations that I kind of 
label. It's kind of like, you know, those um, Microsoft Word for Dummies books. They're all blah, blah, blah for Dummies books. <laughs> this, to me, is how to share Christ with the different, different faiths for dummies. It's just very intro ways to, and some ideas of how you might bro, um, and, you know, kind of broker a conversation with your friend. Um, but, you know, another easy way is to say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and we know Jesus answers prayers. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And just listen and help, and then be diligent to pray for them. And, you know, as that relationship builds and, you know, some folks, some friends gave me tips and I've picked it up and it's very easy to say, well, let me ask you another question. Do you consider and feel right now that you're close to God or far from God and why? And just listen. And then you can tell your own story. If they're far from God, you can say, well, you know, I used to feel far from God. And then this happened. Talk about your testimony and talk about how how you became a follower of Jesus and how he radically changed your life. They say they feel near to God. Ask them why. And then listen and say, you know, would you like to know what Jesus says about how we can be near to God? And you get a chance to share Christ's love to them. And so I just think God's given us all these opportunities with folks um, that we can just really pour our lives into them. And it's just exciting that that, that it's really not going to be the pastors and the church staff that do this wave of missions and ministry. It's going to be the people who are working arm in arm and side by side with people that God's bringing to us. As you think about what it is that you're doing right now, there's a lot of work that goes into that. It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, if you will. What is it that keeps you going and fuels your passion when things get tough? You know, I think what fuels that is just um, being with other like-minded people who, when I'm down, they can lift me up and just being in community. And, you know, we've seen several people trust the Lord recently from a Muslim background or from Hindu background. And watching their faith grow and watching them wrestle with what it means to walk with Jesus and watching them wrestle with how to share their faith with their family and that's fear involved, but yet the fact that they can't keep their mouth shut because they found something they've been looking for their whole life. And so I think though, just seeing how the Lord has moved in the past and then like I said, back to that Revelation 7, 9 through 10 passage, just seeing the past and then seeing the future and knowing that we we get to join part of what really is God's mission, not our mission, it's his mission to redeem mankind to himself. And so that we get a chance. He gives us the privilege to be a part of what he's doing. Wow, that's good. As we tie a bow on this section, I'm just wondering if you could do it all over again, is there anything you would change? I think I would trust the Lord more and not question him so much. Wow, that one's deep. Do you have any tips for us? <laughs> um, you know, we just came through Easter here. so um, And my wife said something. She said, you know, when we've gone through really tough times, it's sometimes it's difficult to trust the Lord. But one thing about Easter every year, there's this always reminder. You can never doubt that God loves us. Um, just by looking at the cross and looking what he endured, not for his sake, but for our sake. I think just that, just ne- never wavering on the fact that the Lord loves us and he cares for us, even when it doesn't look like he cares for us at times. Um, but that just having that faith in him has really helped us through some really difficult times. 
Good stuff. With that, we're going to go ahead and take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward our listeners. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. It says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And that's something that I, that I, I leaned on when I transitioned out of the marketplace. When I went into to ministry, it was a significant uh, difference income-wise. I mean, it was just a... Uh, it, it was a, a, a leap of faith, if you will, transitioning in, into that. And uh, I'd say even some of the pioneering work that we've done in Africa, um, you know, it, it takes strength and courage. And sometimes, uh, you know, we, we need that extra that extra strength and courage from the Lord himself in terms of speaking that directly to us. So I, I've taken a lot of uh, comfort and, and strength and, and courage from him speaking to me through some numbers. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we are back with Brad W. He just dropped a whole bunch of really good stuff right before the break. It's good stuff. Uh, now we're shifting our focus, but before we shift our focus completely, we were talking during the break, and we just want to make sure that we've made it clear what Global Gates is really foundationally about. So, Brad, can you break that down for us? I think just the in a nutshell, our vision is to see the see um, reproducing churches planted among the least reached peoples of the world, and we can do that through um, the cities that God's bringing them to, and as we implant the gospel in them and disciple. I mean, truthfully, you know, Jesus said, "Make disciples." He didn't say make Christians. He didn't say make believers. He said, "Make disciples." And a disciple, biblically, seems to be someone who was with Jesus. They walked with him for three and a half years. They obeyed Jesus. He said, go here. They went there. He said, do this. They did that. And then the last command he gave was, and make more disciples. And so they become teachers. And so really, we've got to plug into folks as in discipleship and empower them to take the gospel themselves. So Global Gates really is that vision of how do we take the gospel present it in a way that's understandable to people who have never heard it before, walk alongside them, empower them to plant churches and reach their own peoples with the gospel. Okay. Now, as I shift a little bit more toward our listeners, I do know that the majority of the listeners of this show are people who live in the in the U.S. or in North America, and they feel called into the marketplace but care deeply about missions and about church planting. What would you share with someone who is called into the marketplace, but they're starting to wonder if what they do really matters in the kingdom? You know, I think um, I would share that we all have our mission field, um, truthfully. Um, My mission field is New York City, working among South Asian people primarily. Um, But when I was working as a real estate agency, my mission field also was my office. And I think, you know, God has given us all the same, really the same purpose. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that. He says, if you're in Christ, old things have passed away and new things have come. And he says, therefore, you have become an ambassador of reconciliation, as if God himself were speaking through you to people saying, be reconciled to me. 
So we all have a mission. Really, our mission field is where God has placed us. And so your mission field may be um, in your office. Your mission field may be with your family or in your neighborhood. But we all are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation no matter where the Lord has placed us. As far as resources, you've already mentioned the the website address for your ministry, but there are quite a number of resources on there. If somebody's going there for the first time, what would you recommend they check out first? You know, that's a good question. And some of it depends on what their their interest would be. So what we've done is actually broken down. um, There's resources related to Islam, related to Judaism, related to Sikhism, different things like that. You know, that probably in the last few years, and this is not a book we produced or anything, probably in the last few years, the book that's made the biggest impact on me, and I've actually bought two or three cases and gave them out to all of our supporters, is a book called In the Land of Blue Burkas by Kate McCord. And this is just a story. This lady, she went and she was working in Afghanistan for several years, but it's, I'm not really much of a book reader. I kind of like articles. (laughs) I'm a it's very always on to something new, it seems like. And sometimes I feel like every a book could have been written in 50 pages and not 300. But this book, I was so sad when I finished it. Um, it really walks you through how this lady took everyday life. And she takes, she's just has, she's so saturated by the word of God and the stories of Jesus that she's able to just tell those stories at appropriate moments. And to me, it was almost devotional. And I think it's really uh, that book itself for me is a kind of an example and a, to really spur you on to taking the gospel and putting it into your everyday life. And I really like it because it's not written for theologians. It's written for regular people. So In the Land of Blue, Blue Burkas by Kate McCord is the book I really probably in the last few years have most highly recommended for anyone wanting to just see how God can be, how God can use everyday people to reach into lives of people from other faiths. And do you have any other recommended resources, maybe a website or an internet resource, another book, something like that? Yeah, sure. Um, I really love um, Steve Addison's website, movements. Um, is it net or org? Uh, um, movements.net. Movements.net. Steve has got a gift of taking kind of complex things that people have put together and then putting them in packages that's quite easy to read. He's got a blog there. Um, I think there's, basically, I would also just encourage you, how are you going to take the gospel where you are? And so the gospel is not very difficult. Um, The teachings of Jesus aren't difficult. He said, you know, go preach the kingdom and heal the sick. We try to make it difficult because it's it's, I shouldn't say it's not difficult. It's not complex, but it is difficult. <laughs> and so I think we kind of create other things because it's so difficult to do the, just that simple thing, preach the kingdom and minister to people, heal the sick, those type things. So, um, you know, I just really encourage folks to take the gospel where they are. What is What would Jesus do? I mean, it's a really simple thing. What would Jesus do? And I know that was a big thing a few years back. But that's a really great question to ask yourself. In this situation, what would Jesus do? And we find, you know, and I'm a person who loves strategies, and I'm a strategist. But one thing we find is God blesses people more than he blesses programs and strategies. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, I was in Jacksonville, Florida a few years ago, and there was a met a lady there. God just um, burdened her to reach her city. 
And she did unusual things. She went through the phone book when anyone with a strange name, she wrote a letter to them and sent a tract and told them how much God loved them. And now God's using her all around the world, all around the U.S. to start center ESL centers or things to unreached peoples. But it's those people who are willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. God blesses those people. And probably, I guess, what we always tell our disciple makers here, our missionaries, is be the disciple you want your disciples to be. And what we mean by that is, if you're a parent, you know this, but people do what you model for them. They don't do what you teach them. I see that in my children a lot. They do what I do. They don't do what I tell them to do as much. And so, you know, if you want your disciples praying an hour a day, you better be praying an hour a day. You want your disciples calling and checking up on the people who just, who they've led to faith. You should be doing that to your disciples. If you want your disciples tithing, you should be tithing. You want your disciples doing these things. Don't put on people what you're not doing. And I think as we model that, really, that's where the kingdom takes hold and we see God do amazing things. Wow, there's so much there. Uh, I'm just thinking about the image. You're, you're talking about your kids, and I have a couple of young kids, and they are definitely an excellent mirror to the character flaws that I have. <laughs> and, yeah. and I look at that and I go, "Oh God, please fix, fix, fix them." Not because fix them because of me, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're just about done. Would you mind maybe sharing with us one last piece of advice, and then we'll say goodbye. Um, you know, I would just say, do something and get involved. You know, God has brought the nations to where you are. Um, and I would really say, especially at this time of year, the very political climate. And, um, you know, it's not easy because there's lots are being said about Muslims and Hindus or just other people, immigrants coming in. And it's very easy to get on the bandwagon and feel like it's us against them. And yet, as a follower of Jesus, we are first and foremost Christians, and we have to adhere to what the Lord has told us. And God has said that we should love those who love the fatherless. We should love the orphan. We should love those people he's brought. And we have such an opportunity to show the love of Christ to people who are quite honestly, if they're here in the U.S. or if they're in Western cities, many of them are quite afraid that they will be rejected. They're afraid that people hate them. And we have this great opportunity to be Christ to them in ways that we may not have even to do among our own people. And so I just really encourage us to take, you know, Acts 17, 26, 27, he talks about Paul speaking. He talks about God has moved the boundaries of people and he set the times and the place for people. And he's done all these things so that they may know him. And so it's not an accident that God is this whole thing happening in Syria. And I, the thing that probably burdens me the most is that we don't have missionaries right now moving to Berlin to, to come and welcome those Syrians and those who have been so closed off from the gospel who are now completely accessible to the gospel. And God's doing that in small ways all around the world. And so I just encourage you, let God use you where you are and in Pour your life into someone who maybe no one else cares about, but yet God's going to use you to bring them to faith. 
So before we go, I did want to mention you, you talked about people moving to Berlin. I actually have some friends who had been missionaries to Belgium uh, mm-hmm. and were back in the States. And after the recent attacks, this is being recorded a couple weeks after those, um, he actually went to his boss and said, I've got to quit and go back. And his boss said, have you seen the news? He said, yeah, that's why I got to go back. Wow. Yeah. It's just, it's good stuff. Brad, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed this. Well, thank you so much. And I really, anything we can do to assist your listeners in really engaging in the mission of the Lord, we would love to do that. Well, thank you. I'd like to say one last thank you to our guest, Brad W., for taking the time to do this, and also to you to stop by and listen. It means a lot to know that you're here, and I hope and I pray that you were encouraged and challenged and received something from God because of what we talked about. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Brad W. So if you'd like to check out the resources we talked about or to connect with Brad and find out more about what's going on, visit engagingmissions.com slash Brad W. And if you did enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you'd send it to somebody else, somebody who might be challenged or encouraged, somebody who might enjoy this, somebody who cares deeply about missions and ministry. And you can do that by sending them a link. You can tweet it, send it on Facebook, however you'd like. It just really means a lot when you do that. Then also, I did want to mention that you're going to want to stop by next week because we're going to be hearing from Josh Young with Hydrating Humanity. They've been able to take the Ministry of Providing Clean Water in Africa, which is good, but it's only marginally effective in preventing disease, and they've been able to pair it with something else that makes it very effective. And while they're doing it, they are also able to share the gospel. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.